So for me, getting into how you tell that story, you have to not make it about you, right? right? If I come to the website and I'm looking at your startup, I don't care if it was two guys in a garage with 50 bucks and some duct tape and a candy mm. bar wrapper and uh, whatever, a paper clip like we yeah. used before. That's just really not important to me as a potential customer. What's important to me is like, what are you going to do for me, right? Yeah. What is the thing that you're going to do better than anybody else? How are you going to solve my problem? But ultimately, the one that people really don't look at enough, I think, is the transformation. Because everything that anybody buys is a result of a transformation or an aspiration that they have. This is the Ideas Lab podcast, where you can learn from great creative and entrepreneurial minds how to turn your ideas into original businesses, books, and brands. Because in a crowded world, it pays to stand out. This is your host, John Williams, best-selling author and founder of the Ideas Lab London. Michael Burns is a storyteller, copywriter, speaker, and comedy performer. I met him here in Bali, and he's got quite an interesting career history. Michael will take us in this episode on a journey from working on Seinfeld to an online record label to reality show producer to copywriter. And he explains how to tell the story of your business in a way that's actually interesting and engaging to your customers. So, here we are in Bali, and you live here, Michael. Tell me, I want to know a little bit about your history and how you ended up here, because you had a fascinating career. But what are you now, and how do you describe what you do? So, primarily what I tell people is that I'm a storyteller, and so um, I basically work as a digital marketing copywriter, and also in part of that function, I also do consulting where I'm doing uh, brand strategy and brand storytelling. And I also do some uh, real-life storytelling, uh, teaching workshops and seminars and speaking in front of crowds of people about various topics. Right, yeah. And uh, you're an avid comedy uh, well, stand-up performer and improv person, so maybe we'll get to that a little bit later. But I was fascinated by your early career where you were... Well, one of the things you did was you were a grip in TV production, and I, most people have no idea what a grip is. You see it on the end of films, mm-hmm. and what, is, what does a grip actually do? So we provide camera and lighting support, and how that plays out is the camera people uh, operate the cameras. They used to put in film, but not so much these days. Uh, focus the cameras, point them in the right direction. If the camera goes on a tripod, they do that put in the filters on the cameras, but if the camera needs to be moved on a dolly or a crane or rigged off the side of a vehicle like a bus or a scooter or a Zeppelin, um, or it needs to be built into a platform or uh, set up in a bunker because something's going to crash into it, the grips handle, all of that sort of thing. We do the things where we put the camera in a position where it moves, those long tracking shots or those crane shots like Quentin Tarantino has in his new movie where it goes over the house. That's all done by grips. And then on the other side of that, very similarly, you have the electricians who supply power to the set and they plug in the lights and they use a certain amount of uh, diffusion on the lights that connects directly to the light and point the lights and focus the lights. But grips come in and put in screens and uh, diffusion to, one, create natural shadow effects and make the light not so harsh and also to make uh, actually rather normal-looking people into what we think are glamorous movie stars. So pretty much, the grips are very underrated. Without grips, uh, the camera would kind of lie on the floor mm-hmm. on its side most of the time. 
and uh, the people would be really ugly that it was filming. Yeah, and there'd be none of those kind of sexy tracking shots which really make a film where, you know, it, it, the camera moves with the person and the backgrounds, you know, there's perspectives all changing and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and even in the case of when it's a steady cam shot where that uh, camera is actually mm. connected on a gimbal to an operator, the grips are still there because they're basically blocking for him and mm. clearing him out of the way and often they're moving lighting implements in and out of uh, the shot so that you can see the effect but then where the guy has to walk, uh, they move some equipment and so he yeah. can continue on his path by there. So yeah. yeah. So you're like a combination of the camera person and electrician and and sort of building p person <laughs> like everything. Yeah, it was a neat job. It was always an yeah. uh, interesting challenge. Uh, like the, our old joke was people would say, okay, well, we need this. And like, okay, what do you got? And yeah. then you would just assemble whatever is needed out of whatever is in the truck. And it is so you're available. a professional MacGyver? Basically, yeah. Basically, yeah, in a lot of <laughs> ways, yeah, that's, that's old what enough we did. To get that we reference. Can, we can do some things with, uh, you know, toothpick, duct tape, and a candy <laughs> yeah. bar wrapper that would blow your mind, man. <laughs> yeah. So, you, and you worked on some big shows, like Seinfeld for how long? I did the final season of Seinfeld. Oh, cool. Yeah, and um, I have a small claim to fame on there. Mm -hmm. um, I'm actually... Uh, the person who set up the Festivus poll on the famous <laughs> episode, uh, which is actually in a book, so it, it must be true. Oh, wow. And uh, it, we didn't know at the time when we were filming the episode, which was called The Strike, because um, mm. Kramer's on strike from a bagel shop that he was working at. And uh, we didn't know it was going to become this big cultural phenomenon. <laughs> and, and actually, I found out several years later that my uh, godfather had been having a uh, Festivus party for no. many years. And then when he found out that, you know, I was involved in the show and had done that, now it's like kind of a big deal if I Skype yeah. into the party and talk to everybody <laughs> and give it a blessing. So, to so and just to explain Festivus, this is George Costanza's father, wasn't it, who invented it? Yeah, in the show, it was George Costanza's father. Uh, and it was sort of the uh, a holiday in response to the over-commercialism of mm. Christmas. And it used an uh, unadorned aluminum pole uh, <laughs> with no tinsel because it was distracting. And uh, yeah, there were no gifts. There was an airing of grievances where you told everybody <laughs> how they had disappointed you all year. And then uh, feats of strength. And uh, actually, we held the first Festivus on Bali uh, that we're aware of. We had a party. December 22nd, 2016, at a Hubu co-working space. And, wow. Um, yeah, and the staff made me a really nice bamboo Festivus pole, which uh, also has very high strength-to-weight ratio, much like <laughs> aluminum, although bamboo is closer to steel, which most people don't know. Right. It's incredibly <laughs> strong. <laughs> wow. And Jerry is he a nice guy? Yeah. Uh, one of the hardest-working people I've ever been around, yeah. actually. Yeah. Um, you know, he had his finger on everything and uh, was a solid guy and uh, made sure everybody was treated really good and got mm. good food to eat. And, um, really? He was a good guy. Yeah, they, they were all great, really. It was probably one of the best jobs I've right. ever had in my life. He, definitely in my top three. Yeah, you don't make $175 million by accident. Somebody interviewed him. Um, somebody caught him on the street once and said to him, um, said like why do you continue to work you know he filmed it and thought you know I'll get an interview Jerry and he was get Jerry was getting on his bicycle and the guy said why do you continue to work you don't need to work and he goes yes I do so what are you what are you going to do are you going to just sit around all day you think that's going to make you happy and then he just rode off of that because it can be quite uh, shirty with people who kind of interrupt him and stuff but it mm. was a really good point and that's the reason why even though he, you know his net worth is estimated to be 175 million he continues making shows like comedians getting uh, coffee in cars. Have I got that right around? Yeah. Which is one of my favorite 
programs and probably you'll love it if you're into yeah it, did you see the one with uh mel brooks and uh carl reiner I think that, I did, that yeah. one was the best i really? mean just, those guys are just legends and i loved uh john um the british guy uh john the, oliver yes john oliver. yeah I thought that's that's also yeah great show yeah so you you wear a grip and you ended up being a copywriter uh, no, well, well, maybe you, storyteller. I think is a better term because that is close to what you do. Because you came into it by quite a creative way, and you bring this knowledge of film and video and um, and also you know comedy and everything else. Why don't we talk a bit about what you're doing now? If somebody wants to describe and st- tell the business, tell tell the story of their business or their venture, normally when people do that. Most people have absolutely no idea how to do that, do they? And when we write about our own business, it ends up incredibly boring. So what is it? Because I did talk to you about this earlier, and I thought you had a really good philosophy. So how do you make stories interesting when you're describing your project, your business, your charity, whatever it might be? Well, the way I look at it is this, and it's not just me. I think there's a number of people that think like this, Mm. but... Uh, ultimately, when you consider how big the internet is and how many businesses are out there, right? Um, somebody's somewhere is doing what you do. In fact, there might be yeah. a million people doing what yeah. you do, right? And so the way that you're going to be different is by the story you tell. And having a story of some sort is very important because this what resonates with people. Yeah. You know, you can give them facts all day long, but a story that resonates emotionally with a person is going to make them buy more, which yeah. you, you know right away, right? There's always the old sell to the pain thing, which mm-hmm. is very true, but there's also another level of that as well. Mm-hmm. I can talk to you about in a second. So for me, uh, getting into how you tell that story, you have to not make it about you, right? right? Um, if I come to the website and I'm looking at your startup, I don't care if it was two guys in a garage with 50 bucks and some duct tape and a candy bar wrapper and uh, whatever, a paper clip like we yeah. used before. That's just really not important to me as a potential customer. What's important to me is like, what are you going to do for me? Right? Yeah. What is the thing that you're going to do better than anybody else? How are you going to solve my problem? But ultimately, the one that people really don't look at enough, I think, is the transformation. Because everything that anybody buys is a result of a transformation or an aspiration that they have. Mm -hmm. So uh, whether that's um, buying a Tesla, not so... Like, you buy a Tesla, but you think, okay, well, this is great. I'm buying a car for the environment. Mm -hmm. And, oh, I'm you know, going against the gas companies and stuff. But the ultimate thing is you want to be the coolest kid on the block. That's why you buy a Tesla. And that's the transformation, right? And so a lot of people aren't even aware of the transformation that they want from something. So it's a matter of kind of triggering that a little bit in the copywriting as well. So your story ultimately needs to be about how your potential customer is interacting with your brand and the journey they're going to go on and how are you solving their problems and Mm -hmm. uh, satisfying their inner desires for this transformation. Yeah. Now that's really interesting and I think, you know, you're right, there's the, there's the sort of one side selling to the pain and then there's also selling to the aspiration, which might not even be very conscious. But, you know, if you if somebody gets a flash of an image in their brain of, of them as a, you know, sexier, fitter, richer, more spiritually enlightened person, whatever it is according to what you're selling, that's, that's, part of, that's a big part of why they're buying. And so how do you capture that, though, in a story? You're basically saying like on the homepage, 
How do you tell a story about the person who's just turned up? So sometimes like when we think of story, we think of something very straightforward, but a story is really the journey also that you're taking the person on in their mind when they're reading it. So by writing a, a story in the constructs, and instead of saying we do this and we do that, but asking questions, maybe yes questions, like are you feeling uh, depressed and burned out from too many hours in the office? Are you looking for a change in your life, right? Mm. Things that trigger people to go, oh, yes, that's me. Mm. Yes, that's me. And then they logically will continue following along because you're now leaving them a trail of breadcrumbs mm. that is leading them down through their pain and into that transformation stage, right? Mm. So there's part of it. And that's that, when we talk about a story, it's a little bit of a broader context. So um, having a lot of empathetic statements is uh, really important. You yes. really want to show empathy. And um, also, uh, like I said, really trying to highlight those things that you're doing for them. And changing, even when maybe you write a draft of something and you're like, well, we do this or uh, Joe Blow Corporation does that. And then it's a matter of turning that sentence around and putting it customer facing. And on your about page is a really great place um, yeah. for this too because I thought this, this philosophy of yours on the about page was really interesting because what you're saying is it's not really when you're writing the about page the best thing is actually not to make it about you which is quite odd right. <laughs> well I think that has a place because somebody mm. eventually may want to know that information sure. and it's nice to show off I believe you've said this word it's your bona fides right you know People want to know that you are an actual doctor and yeah. not just a guy who got you know sent in the thing off the back of a cereal box to uh, some small yeah. country that may not exist and got a certificate, yeah. right? Um, but that stuff can be farther down the page, mm -hmm. and really, it, the an about page is a really secret opportunity to sneak in a, like another sales page mm -hmm. to your site, and so the top half of that page or top third can really be about really creating a relationship with that mm -hmm. customer. And um, also, this is a good spot to put in uh, what Donald Miller, uh, who wrote this great book, Building a mm -hmm. Story Brand, calls an agreement plan, where you're talking about the things that you're promising a customer. Oh. Uh, Whole Foods has a really nice example of this on their website. but. So the people know that you're going to be trusted, they're going to get a certain amount of service every time, that you're here to solve their problems and work with them, and and then sneak a call to action in there, and then get into the, well, we were two guys in a garage with a paperclip and a candy bar wrapper and yeah. some duct tape, and now it's a computer, you know, yeah. and then get to that part. But And sometimes that story can be, can serve a purpose and it can be inspiring, because if we think of the story of, for instance, Apple, or um, I don't know, like Microsoft or something like that. We it, the relevance is not that we go. It, okay, some people might be going. Okay, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs is amazing, but but the more important reason for telling that story is actually it's inspiring for you. It's like oh, okay, um, if you can start in a garage with nothing, and just a couple of geeks knock out a computer and then build it into some of the most one of the most valuable companies in the world then that's an inspiring story for me and because Steve Jobs always kind of never said like, I'm clever and you can't do this. Now, in reality, right. he is clever, <laughs> most of us can't do it. But, um, but, it, but his story, your own success story can be used as an inspiration for other people. I yeah, I totally agree. I think that the key to that is making it relatable right? yeah. and just really making it seem that you know, the person that you're telling that story to can be part of your story and, yes. and trying to keep it down to earth and, um, you know, be able to integrate into there the values that you have as a company and the things that a person would find relatable and appreciate about yeah. your company and your story and 
even again sneak another call to action in there at the bottom of the page if if it mm. feels right to do it. A call to action like. Oh, well, like, um, depends on what you're selling, but there's, there's, you know, I mean, buy this, uh, click here to learn mm -hmm. more, click here to down our free PDF of, yeah. uh, you know, how to build your own computer in a garage mm -hmm. with random elements, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so it yeah. depends, depends on what your product or service is, but there's ways to, you know, integrate yeah. that seamlessly into there. Cause most websites seem to follow a fairly standard format, these mm -hmm. blocks of text, but then another block that has, uh, calls to action and then maybe mm. there's some photos and some bullet points and mm. you know so it's, it's really not too hard to integrate those in there seamlessly and have a flow naturally from the copy where people people know they're being sold to when they're told a story right but yeah. they are less likely to care about it yeah right and so as long as they feel like they're, they're being taken on a nice little adventure and they're, they're enjoying reading mm. this and it feels relatable to them and identifiable and they're starting to trust you as a brand and a product and a business and you're solving their problems, then they're going to be more likely to click that button when it pops up instead of yeah. going, oh, geez, a buy now button, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And um, you work with lots of different clients. What do clients consistently get wrong where you have to kind of teach them about or what are people's expectations wrong about how to write the copy for their website and for marketing in general? Do you find yourself forever going like, I'm going to have to explain this to you? You know, not in a nasty way, but in the, that's our job as experts. Other people don't get where we're coming from, and that's the value in what we do. Is it, is it one of those things where you have to keep educating people in the nicest possible way? Uh, well, I think, you know, one of the things is really what we just talked about. Mm -hmm. It's really telling them that their message has to be customer forward at all yeah. times um, and really making sure that they take themselves out and take the company, you know, sometimes there's an ego involved if you're dealing with, uh, you know, some entrepreneurs or, you know, it, it happens in business, right? But yeah. um, usually once that's explained and they see the two things side by side, it, mm. it's usually pretty easy to resolve those. Uh, there's also an occasional issue where somebody uh, is in, else in the company is, uh, who's not directly involved in the creative process is giving me notes on the process and uh, often that person is uh, terribly boring. Like, like I've, I've had that with <laughs> like a lawyer or something. Yes, exactly. Yeah, in fact, yeah. that's, that's been the most common uh, occurrences <laughs> yeah. with lawyers. And nothing against lawyers, but uh, y'all aren't yeah. copywriters. You rate it doing the legal <laughs> stuff. But Exactly. It's like yeah. you kind of chipping in on the contract and go, can we not put the word very there? Yeah, go like, it, that's not really how it works. Dude. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> sometimes, you know, you just have to sit down with everybody and be like, mm -hmm. I only want to hear one voice and one <laughs> right. set of notes. And, you know, obviously, if there's something about compliance and, and legal issues that have to be you know, yeah. there, like G GDPR or something like that, yes. that's, that's a, another ball game. That's something very skilled you're doing. I remember I wrote an article for the Reader's Digest. And they, they fact-checked it really well. It's a story of me getting a brain scan. It was a humorous story of all the little funny things that happened along the way. And um, as they do when you go for a brain scan. And um, I said at one point, you know, they strapped my head to the table, um, which is basically what they do when you have a brain scan. Mm. And th they're so fastidious about the fact-checking, the radiographer said, we don't strap the head to the table. They simply put it in a cradle. Like yeah, a cradle that's like that with a bit over top, and there's a lock on it. But but it's like it took away one of my jokes by they changed you know strap my head to a table to, they then put my head on a cradle but was simply resting and something like that. You know? <laughs> so I feel your pain when somebody somebody kind of 
messes with your work. Obviously, sometimes you have to do that for legal or compliance reasons, but um, it's like don't mess with the process. It's, it's, right. You know what you're doing. But you know, but ultimately, as a copywriter, you're working as a, essentially a gun for hire in these situations. Yeah. Right? You know, it's. it's um, I try not to make it mercenary, but when you think about it at the end of the day, it sort of is like, okay, here's some money, kill these guys, and then we'll see you later, right? <laughs> and that's although that's not exactly what I'm doing, and, and it's more involved with that, and I actually go out of my way to work with uh, conscious, purpose-driven companies, mm-hmm. so everything comes from a, a higher place, and, it, and it's more you yeah. know purpose-driven and mission-oriented. and. Um, but you know, ultimately, it is their website, and uh, you do have to remind them occasionally that they are paying you to be the expert in these yes. circumstances, right. and that they probably should listen to you instead of <laughs> just pay you a bunch of money for your opinion. <laughs> yeah, anyone who ever consulted will know this pain. I was in South Africa doing technical broadcast stuff when I was in broadcast technology, and I gave this person my advice, and he goes, "Well, we're not going to do that," and I go like okay but that's what you paid me thousand pounds a day to tell you so i mean like well can we, well we should do something else shouldn't we and go like no you should do what i just told you because that's my advice so anyone who's ever consulted will kind of in any form will know that that's that, that that's part of the process but of course if people understood everything you were doing uh, and got it they wouldn't need you so that's you also have to there's no point moaning about it it's like if everyone got storytelling as well as you did then you'd be out of a job well, something I've been running across recently, too, is a lot of people are paying big money to um, different firms for branding services and copywriting and, and getting just basically really expensive garbage back. And it's it's rather shocking, actually. I, I'm just surprised at how many people are out yeah. there calling themselves experts on things and are just not getting yeah. it. And and uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I would like to know what their sales pitch is, so I could sort of adopt that yeah. for myself <laughs> and raise my rates accordingly, perhaps. But uh, yeah. it's it's pretty amazing to me what's uh, passing for this sort of thing right now, and and so much of it isn't customer centric, which to me is clearly the whole point because if we're not getting people in you know there's a point clearly when you become such a big brand where that's not important like nike for instance but everybody in the entire world knows who nike is at this point mm-hmm. except maybe for some of those tribes that live on the islands <laughs> yes. that where you're not allowed to go right yeah. and uh, so they can just say anything they want like they could just say buy shoes or not we don't care that could be their slogan <laughs> yeah, no. it doesn't matter it really doesn't matter to Nike we got a new shoe mm-hmm. buy it loser yeah but yeah. but if you're anybody smaller than that it is really important that people you know go to your website and they know immediately who you are yeah. what you're doing what you're going to do for them and why they should care and yeah. if they don't on that first you know 10 seconds of looking or less they're gone yeah they're going to click and go to the next thing or watch yeah. a cat video and most yeah most beginning entrepreneurs, you go to their website, and I can't even work out what they're doing. Sometimes they're my, my own clients, and just go like, this bears no relation to what you told me. You go, oh, right, oh, yeah, that needs updating. So um, uh, that's a typical thing. So we're in Bali. You live here now permanently, don't you? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. How did you wash up in Bali? <laughs> well... <laughs> Wash up is a strong word, especially <laughs> since there was no water at my villa this morning. <laughs> oh, really? Welcome to Bali. Yeah. yeah. So, well, we were joking, uh, me and a couple of the people in the villas today, that uh, Bali's tourist logo should be Bali. It's always something. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> it would just, just be brilliant. <laughs> but it's a really great exercise in patience and acceptance. Yes, that's right. I, I was in the raw food restaurant the day I arrived. 
and they were preparing my meal, the power went off. And I turned to the guy next to me and said, good job, it's raw food. And he went, yeah. And, and they brought it anyway because they're not cooking it, which right. is great. Yeah. So how did you uh, end up here? So um, basically after, uh, well, about 2005, uh, I was working on a TV show called My Name is Earl. It's a great... Oh my God, I love that program. Didn't you? Yeah, oh, yeah, God. It was, it, was, it was a nice place to work. Dude. Yeah. Good people. Jason Lee is a great guy. Um, yeah. Very funny. And um, ironically, I was playing a lot of golf at the time, and we were filming on a golf course, and I lifted some huge piece of equipment, which most of the guys that worked at doing what I did were about three times my size, mm -hmm. but there was a good niche for me, because one, I like doing paperwork, so I often got the job as best mm -hmm. boy, and then also, like, I fit into all the small sets and small places and could scamper around in mm -hmm. the rafter 60 feet in the air without too much fear. I even used to take naps up there, which is nuts when I think about it. I had a harness I was strapped in okay. um, sometimes. Um, so anyway, I lifted some heavy equipment and there was a loud popping sound and that was what was left of my shoulder. Uh, four out of five doctors surveyed said, don't do this anymore. And so I basically had to retire from that. I uh, went up to the Bay Area uh, from Los Angeles, up to San Francisco area and uh, Met some musicians, uh, became friends with a couple of them, started promoting their shows. Uh, one of the guitar players pulled me aside and he's like, hey, I started this uh, online record label. Yeah. And uh, interestingly, I guess, um, throughout the whole time I was in film and television production, I also had a side career in the music industry where I've done literally everything except be a musician. So I've been a journalist, I've been a roadie, I've been a stage lighting guy, I've been a manager, like all of these things, right? Um, and uh, he said, hey, you know, I wanted to turn this into a business. And I said, yeah, well, I'm collecting disability checks and going to concerts right now. I will do that for you. <laughs> so three years later, we turned Floating Records into an actual uh, running business. And I did uh, all of the business development while I was there, all the marketing, wrote all the copy and content, mm -hmm. did all the social media, built the website, which was the first time I'd ever even tried to build a website because what they had before was a train wreck. And uh, then I was like, okay, well, time to pay me. And the, the guy was like, well, I can't pay you. <laughs> so it's a startup success story. Um, but I was able to then parlay that into going back to L.A. This is kind of a long story. Mm. Parlay that into going back to L.A. And uh, began working as a producer on documentary and reality shows. Um, um, a lot of things about monsters and ghosts. Um, no Kardashians, although technically those are monsters. But um, yeah, no. None he of said, "Don't mention the ghosts because you're too well known for that." So we won't, yeah, we won't yeah, mention yeah. the ghosts. Yes, we won't, we won't talk about those things. Um, um, they're real. No, <laughs> uh, they're not real. Well, they might be. Who the hell knows? All, all I know is it made good television. Tune in so, next week. So yes. So then after a few years of that, uh, I realized that um, that industry was uh, basically kind of slowly circling the bowl in LA. And uh, I really didn't want to do it anymore. And I realized I was really happy uh, when I was writing all the content and copy for uh, online business. Mm -hmm. So I decided to switch over to that and you know, did a little training and changed my LinkedIn. And next thing I know, I, I had a couple of clients. And then I uh, was laying on an acupuncture table, uh, recovering from a, an injury I sustained at the gym. Um, uh, let's just say sports hernias are no fun, kids. Mm -hmm. And uh, my, I was talking to my acupuncturist, as one does, while being stabbed with sharp metal objects, mm -hmm. and uh, about some various things. And she said, have you ever heard uh, this podcast? Have you ever listened to a podcast? Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, that's funny, because um, no, I have this app on my phone, I don't know what it does. Mm -hmm. And she turned me on to Tim Ferriss, 
Uh, listened to my first podcast that day, uh, discovered he had a book, The 4-Hour Workweek, which is sort of the Bible for digital nomads, right? Yeah. The early version. Um, the American Bible, the British Bible, is screw that last plan. Yes, it is. It is. <clears throat> which is a fantastic book. I've read it. It's, it's a page turner. <laughs> it's a real page turner. And, uh, and anyway, so that was sort of my introduction to this idea that I was like, oh, wait, I can live wherever I want and do this. And I was like, wait, I have the perfect job for that now. And so I started making my plans to do that and, uh, you know, discovered some other books and blogs and things along the way. And then uh, through research, it kind of narrowed down to Bali and Chiang Mai. Mm -hmm. And um, in, in a very Bali twist, the universe kept telling me to go to Ubud which, and Bali, which things like I would be listening to a random podcast about travel. And then all of a sudden, a guy would start talking about going to Ubud to build a business, which was not in the description. And at the moment he did that, I looked up and I just turned on the Bali Way in Marina del Rey, California. Mm -hmm. And things like that happened over and over. Mm -hmm. And people, uh, a couple of my mentors were like, oh, I know this person in Bali. I know this person in Ubud. And so I decided to wash myself up here, as it were. Wow. And uh, that's how it all started a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I arrived, I left on the day before the last U.S. presidential election. And, Good time. Um, yeah. yeah, and mm -hmm. because I flew to across the Pacific and uh, landed, you know, on the other side of the world, uh, with the date change, that day does not exist in my timeline, yeah. which is awesome. <laughs> so, and uh, Hillary won, so that's great. It's so I've heard. Yeah, I don't, know. <laughs> I don't keep track of these things anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And uh, and now you're doing um, a lot alongside everything else. Um, you're doing uh, the, you're helping run the comedy improv group here. The kind of self-led group i guess it is which i've been to which is fantastic thanks yeah uh that that just sort of happened um it's funny uh, my i had a birthday this year and i wrote a list of all the things i wanted to do this year and i just sort of got very quiet and just sort of let things you know flow out as one mm -hmm. does here and do stand-up comedy ended up on the list and uh about two weeks later i was messaging with a friend about a book she's writing and basically explaining to her there's no such thing as writer's block because she'd been complaining about that mm -hmm. and because there are things such as procrastination, laziness, <laughs> not being prepared, not wanting to do it, yeah. you know, not being healthy enough mentally to, you know, there are many things. So we call them writer's block, but writer's block can become this thing. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, if you, yeah, if you yeah. just eliminate it as a possibility, life becomes much easier, yeah, right? Yeah, I would agree. And then uh, out of the blue, she says, hey, have you ever done stand-up? And over the last... Uh, year and a half or so I've been sort of receiving downloads of a routine and writing them down in Evernote. So I basically had a routine already written down that I didn't know what I was supposed to do with. And receiving downloads. Just sort of like, you know, driving along and just getting a bunch of <laughs> right, ideas yeah, in my yeah. head for jokes doing when yeah. I wasn't really thinking about anything else. Yeah, yeah. You know, I do do like good thinking when I'm riding a motorcycle apparently. Which yeah. Which is just sort of a dangerous time to be thinking and not looking for mm -hmm. chickens and dogs right and the giant road. holes in the Yeah, road. giant holes. Yeah, <clears throat> mysterious piles of gravel that appear on the <laughs> yeah, side of the road yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> snafu with. Yeah, so um, anyway, uh, there was an improv group and they were doing a comedy show. Mm -hmm. They were at an open mic. I ended up doing stand-up and doing quite well for my first time. They asked mm -hmm. me to join the improv group and felt like I'd been doing it my whole life. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was about three, over three months ago. And uh, now I'm just sort of uh, helping run the thing and keeping it yeah. going. And, I've done performances of improv and stand-up since. And Great, yeah, and I've seen them. No, I think they're natural. So, if people want to find out more about you, what's the easiest way to do that? Is it your website or LinkedIn? Uh, yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, 
right now I'm actually in the middle of a rebrand and new website coming up, so I feel like I'm getting caught without my uh, britches up for a little bit mm -hmm. on that question. Um, but uh, if you look up uh, Bay Dream Creative, that's B-A-Y-D-R-E-A-M, Creative uh, on LinkedIn or Facebook, you will find me. Cool. And um, the new site and brand is going to be called Story for Everything. And uh, Ooh, story, nice. it's officially Story for Everything Copywriting Studio. Okay. And uh, that should be up hopefully by the first of the year if my designer and I can ever agree where to meet again to actually get the work done. <laughs> <laughs> and you, are you on LinkedIn under your own name, Michael Burns? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's Michael Burns, I think, slash Bedroom Creative. Okay. So you should cool. be able to find me there. Thank you, Michael. Fascinating stuff. What a life you've had. Thanks, John. <laughs> Pleasure to be here. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ideas Lab podcast. Please do subscribe. And if you've enjoyed this episode, it would be great if you could leave us a review. You can get links and details of everything mentioned in the podcast in the show notes, along with photos and video clips from many of our episodes. Just go to theideaslab.org forward slash podcast. Thank you.